If you are visiting with us, we're in the midst of a short sermon series in which we are studying what God's Word has to say about elders and deacons, uh, which are the two offices that are established by God in the New Testament church. And we've already spent some time in past weeks understanding better the role of, of pastor, elder, overseer, uh, and we're going to now spend the next two weeks looking biblically at where deacons come from what they are to do and be, and then spend some time specifically talking through what's it going to look like for us as a church to identify, equip, and install those God has called to this role. Somebody asked me recently, does this stuff bore you? And it does not. Because I realize, even though this might feel like a kind of a detour, what we're doing in these few messages and what we're going to be doing over this season is going to set the church up for years ahead. This stuff is so important for Christ's community, not just this year, but 10, 20, 30 years down the road. And I pray that as I speak for the pastors today as a whole, you would uh, see our excitement, and if you're not excited, to join us in that excitement. Uh, I want to quickly point out to you, as you probably have seen in your bulletin, there's an insert regarding any questions you have about deacons. Obviously, we're not going to answer them all today. We're not going to answer all of them in the next two weeks. But if at the end of this message you have questions about uh who deacons are, what they should do, what our process is going to be like. Uh, feel free to write those down and put them in the little tray in the information table uh, area in the hallway. And then next week will be similar to last week, and we'll have a more a truncated message, and then we'll do some Q&A. And if you were not here last week or you were in children's ministry last week, uh, you can listen to that Q&A. We recorded it and put it on the website. We would strongly encourage you to, to listen to that so you can um, be most up to date. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the blessing it is to us as individuals and the blessing it is to us as a church. That, that we want to be a church as you define it, as you organize it, as you seek to mobilize us and equip us and get all of us into the places that you've gifted and called us to be. So Lord, as we look at your word, may we see your care. May we see your love as you position us for health and you seek to use us for your glory both now and in the days ahead. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are numerous passages in the New Testament that use the Greek word diakonos and its cognates. Diakonos is where we get the word deacon. And the word simply means to serve or to be a servant. So in one sense, biblically, we're all deacons in that we're all called to serve as Christians, serve the Lord, to serve our neighbor, to serve the church. And yet at the same time, we see in a few very important New Testament passages that that word is used not in the general sense, but in a specific office created by God for the health of the church and the advancement of the gospel. And God is so kind to us as a church, as I prayed, because in the Bible, he records why the church needs and benefits from deacons helps us to understand the role elders and the congregation has in identifying, evaluating, and installing those to be deacons, and he encourages us 
in the fruit that is produced in the church and beyond when the right people fulfill this role. And church, as it should be on every topic, may God's word be our authority when we look at the office of deacon. I don't know everyone's story here, but we all come from different places. And thoughts about what a deacon is and what a deacon should be could abound. No matter your background, no matter your experience, no matter our opinions, may we all agree God's word is our authority. And for us to humbly seek to be shaped and guided by it, both as individuals and as a congregation. That's what we want to do over the next couple weeks and beyond. To ask, what does God's word say about deacons? What does God say about who they should be and what that installation process should look like? And so we're going to go from the broad to the narrow over the next two weeks. Today we're looking at Acts 6 and just kind of understanding where did this come from and why did it come into existence? And then next week we're going to look at 1 Timothy 3, which gives us in detail specifics about what the qualifications of these people should look like. So, this morning we're going to look at the first seven verses of Acts 6, and we're going to look at four points. The gospel, the problem, the solution, the result. The gospel, the problem, the solution, and the result. So, point number one, the gospel. The gospel. Look at verse one with me. So, Acts 6, verse one. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number. Now, stop. Stop. Don't read on. Not yet. If you've read this passage before, or you're cheating right now, and you're looking at the rest of the verse, you know a problem is about to be revealed. But before we get to the problem, we can't miss the really wonderful thing we just read. The disciples were increasing in number. Following the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, The promised gift of the Holy Spirit has come and the gospel began to explode. And many were getting saved and becoming disciples, followers of Christ. Now, I know some of you are like me. In your life, there could be 10 wonderful things going on right now. But if there is one problem, you spend the vast majority of your time not thinking about those 10 wonderful things, but you're trying to figure out how you solve that one problem. Now, should you address the problem? Of course. But don't completely dismiss those ten wonderful things. And may we not dismiss the beginning words of Acts 6. Because they are to be an encouragement to us that God and his gospel are on the move. We see this refrain again and again in the book of Acts. In the midst of all types of issues, the gospel just keeps advancing. Just prior in Acts 5.42, God tells us that in the midst of extreme persecution, the Christians, they would not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ, the promised Savior, is Jesus. And in chapter 6, verse 1, we learn that God uses this proclamation of the good news to build his church. Were there issues in the church in Acts 6? Yes! But at the same time, they celebrated that God was doing a glorious thing. And may we take the same mindset as we think about our local church. Are there areas we need to grow? Of course there are. 
Do we have weaknesses? Of course we do. Should we seek to address those things? Of course we should. And at the same time, let us not forget that God has done and is doing a mighty work in our midst as well. Josh alluded to it this morning. We should be amazed there even is a Christ community church. Because there would not be one without the loving power of God and his gospel. We see here in the book of Acts. It is because of what God was doing in Acts and continues to do for 2,000 straight years that there even is a body of Christ here in Berks County in 2017. And we should be amazed not only there's a church, but we should be amazed that you and I are in it. Because we would not be in it if it was left up to us. We would not be in it if it was left up to our efforts. I love this this season because it's new member season, and new member season means new member interview season, and that means I get to sit there and listen to people talk about God saving them. I could do that all day long. And so hearing testimonies yesterday afternoon of God saving people, and one of the people said, my story is so unlikely. What am I doing here? How did God save me? It wasn't me. It wasn't my circumstances. She was explaining where she came from. It was God. The power of the gospel. And that's all of our stories, isn't it? Unlikely and amazing. You and I were rebels towards God. We broke God's law in countless ways. In Crossfire, in our youth group, a couple weeks ago, we just were talking about the law. And just looking at, looking at how we have broken the law in so many places and we deserve punishment, yet God came in that rescue mission. God lovingly sent Jesus Christ to earth to rescue you, to live a perfect life for you, to die on the cross for you. And through repentance and faith, we have been fully forgiven, promised eternity with God, enjoying all the benefits that come from being declared his sons and daughters. That's the story of this church in Acts 6, and that's the story of Christ's community. And what is interesting about Acts 6 is that it's actually because of the gospel's advance and the building of the church that the problem we're going to look at occurs. It's because of the gospel's advance that there are issues, and that happens sometimes. And, and maybe we have a category for that as we look to our future. There are going to be, at times, issues that arise, problems to address, sacrifices that will be need to be made, not because we didn't enjoy and proclaim the gospel, but because we did. And we're going to need to seek God's word and seek God's wisdom that we might further enjoy fruitfulness in the seasons to follow. So may we first just bask in the gospel. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for rescuing people like us. Now let's, let's look at this good gospel problem. Number, point number two, the problem. Let's read all of verse one. You probably all did it at this point. You didn't listen to me, but we'll, re- we'll read it now together. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So within this church, And I'm going to, just brief side note, I'm going to probably interchange apostles and elders again and again. Not that apostles and elders are synonymous, but they are here. right? Okay, so in this local church, the apostles were the elders. That's a pretty sweet church, isn't it, when your elders are the twelve. And so so I'm going to go back and forth, and just so we're on the same page, 
we're not saying we as elders are apostles, but we're saying here those who were the apostles were the local elders here. Okay, And so what we're seeing in this local church is that there are two different cultural groups. There's the Hebrew, the Hebraic group, and the Hellenistic group. The, the Hebraic group were the ancestors of Israel. They spoke Aramaic. And then you have the Hellenistic group. They were from the Greek culture and they spoke Greek. And so in the church, the church seeking to rightly fulfill Old Testament scripture and Jesus's words, they had a commitment to caring for widows within the church who couldn't earn a living and didn't have family. And as we see in the context of verse 1, there was a daily distribution of food that was given to these widows in need. However, there was a problem. The widows from the Greek culture were being neglected. They were not all receiving the food as promised. And so a complaint rose up as a result. It, It literally means that the Hellenists in the church were murmuring to the Hebrews about the situation. Now, it's important to understand here, nothing in the book of Acts as a whole and nothing in this particular passage teaches that the leaders were sinfully motivated in the problems that arose. There's nothing that we see in the context where like the, the apostles were uh, deliberately withholding food from these particular widows because of their cultural background. And we can say that because... What we see in the context as we read here, the resulting action is not, wow, we've been really wrong in the way we've been looking at the cultures. What we see in the resulting actions in light of the complaint is that the problem had to do with leaders overextending themselves and the need for greater structure and more help from those within the church. The passage makes clear biblically what any growing church knows through empirical evidence. As the gospel advances and disciples are multiplied, if the church is to remain healthy and grow stronger, it needs to grow in structure and it needs to grow to seek to mobilize the gifts God has given to the church by putting God's people in the right positions. And we need to understand that structure isn't necessarily the enemy of spirit-led churches. Structure is not necessarily the enemy of spirit-led churches. So we we talked about this briefly in the Q&A. Talking about elders and deacons and structure and titles. and, And that can feel to a church that's younger and still finding our legs. Like, okay, are we changing gears here? Are we Are we going a new direction? No, structure, biblically, is a good thing. It's not that we can, in choosing to to organize and have biblical structures, that we're now moving away from being spirit-led. You better be spirit-led as you seek those structures, right? Now, a church can make an idol out of structures. A church can make an idol out of processes. That's definitely true. And yet, if we are seeking to grow as God defines it in his word, God uses it to actually serve people better fulfill our part in the Great Commission better, and I think grow in glorifying God. A couple quick Bible references beyond Acts 6 that affirm that structure and organization are not in opposition to being spirit-led. Titus 1.5, I believe we're going to project it. Titus 1.5, this is what it says, This is why I left you in Crete. So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town. 
The gospel has been preached. People have been saved. What does Paul encourage Titus to do? He tells them to get to work in putting the church into order. The Great Commission is not only about proclaiming the gospel. The Great Commission is about discipling, caring for, serving, pouring into, and sending out those saved by that gospel. And a church that has been intentional about praying through what God calls us to do in organizing ourselves as a church is used by God in His grace in wonderful ways. Ephesians 4 also highlights this. Ephesians 4 Beginning in verse 11, it says, And he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. God can say so much. (laughs) In such few verses. What what, what we see here is that God gives gifts to the church in the form of leaders. And those leaders are called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why? For what purpose? That God might use us to help each other as the church to grow more and more like Christ. Church, this is important. What's the implication of Ephesians 4, 11-13? That we are in process, right? As individuals, we're in process. And as a church, we're in process. It's a reminder, similar to Acts 6, that this side of Christ's second coming, the church is more like a construction project than a finished piece of art. If you are looking at a finished piece of art, what do you do? They have little benches there for you. And you can sit on the bench with your arms crossed, looking like you know what that artist was doing in that rendering. Oh, yeah, I see it. I get it. There's there's this one painting at the Reading Museum. It's like three dots. (laughs) Yeah, I see. Ah, the 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 simplistic you know nature of the the artist. I see how he's talking about how all of life is chaos, but art can be simple. You know, like I have no idea what he's doing, but I I sit there and act like I do. Right? You you shouldn't bring a paintbrush and paint to a museum, or you're not going to be at that museum very long. Right? So you could look at it like that, or you could you know that's not quite finished. Thank you, Picasso. Good start. Let me take it the rest of the way, right? You're not going to be in that museum very long. Finished piece of art is that. It's finished. It's done. It's complete. And you can just observe it. That's not the church. The church is a construction project. And when you're on a construction project, you better grab your hard helmet. Because there's work to be done. Although God builds the church, God gives the church a responsibility to play our part in the construction process, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, giving people opportunity to play their part, and identifying the gifts God has given his disciples and moving them into right position for the good of the church. I think if we don't realize that the church is a construction project, God has begun the work and he will bring it to completion. We have every hope in the world that at Christ's return, we will be like him. But if we understand that the church, although God's doing a great thing, is in process, when we see issues, there won't be this kind of shock. If you're shocked 
by weakness in the church. If you're shocked by sin in the church, you need to go to Ephesians 4 and realize God is on the move. God is helping us to all be sanctified individually and as a congregation. Don't be surprised by it. We're in process. And so what does it look like for us to say, God, what does it look like for us as individuals and as a church to play our part in being used by God to move it more and more into Christ-likeness? Point number three, the solution. So we see the gospel moving forward in power. We see this problem that the widows are not being cared for. They're not being served the way that they, that they need to be. Not being served in the way God calls the church to serve them. So now we see the solution. We're going to read verses 2 to 4. It says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We see here that the issue was that the pastors were overextending themselves by doing more than what they were called by God to do. It seems very likely that they were the ones serving the tables. At least they were part of that group. Caring for the widows. Trying to take part in giving out the daily distribution of the food. And at the same time seeking to fill their primary task of preaching the word of God and praying for God's people. Now, in some ways, this should be commendable, right? Like, I think there's something in this that we can commend the, the pastors, the, the apostles here, in what they were doing. What, what a great heart to be willing to serve the widows. What a great heart to be willing to serve the, these tables. They were willing to, to serve anyone, anytime, anywhere. We see later on, um, after Paul gets saved, where they say to Paul in sending him out, don't forget the poor. It was on their hearts. There was a burden. Let us make sure we care for the least of these. I'm sure they had a great burden for the widows. Wanted to make sure they were being fed. But as the church was growing, the need grew and these men couldn't do it all because, like us, they're just men. And so the complaint arose. And God used the revelation of this problem to help these leaders of the church realize that things needed to change. This might be just as pastors something that encourages our hearts. It wasn't like this was happening and and in their amazing wisdom, they they were saying, you know, we have a problem here. uh, We shouldn't be doing this. We we see X, Y, and Z here. We see where this is going to lead. They just had their heads down serving and the complaint rose and they kind of looked up and realized, oh, we are doing what we shouldn't be doing. There was this sense of it wasn't like their amazing leadership. We shouldn't complain, obviously. God's word talks about that, of having a complaining spirit. But it's amazing how God can redeem anything. And it's it's the complaint, it's the problem that kind of gets them up. Oh, we need to make some changes. And there was no fear, it looks like, in their hearts. There was a real confidence in the Lord that God was going to meet them. And that's what they did. They went to the Lord to find a solution. And as pastors... Us as pastors, as we have been working through this passage this week, we loved the example of how the elders and the congregation came together to play their God-given roles. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But this is a church-wide movement to figure out what do we do and how do we do it. But before we we get into that, I want to just point out in verse 3, the Lord highlights here for the first time this role of deacon in the New Testament. 
And he continues to bring even more clarity and detail to it as the New Testament unfolds. God does that in his word sometimes. He'll, he'll bring up a topic or a doctrine or truth. He'll mention something, but he doesn't say everything about it in that one passage. There are times where God will, he'll bring something to us as his people. And then as the New Testament rolls on, or as the word of God rolls on, he continues to give more and more detail over it. That's why as pastors, as Christians, as a church, when you're talking about a topic, you don't want to just look at one verse, right? Or one passage. What does the whole counsel of God say about that thing? Because as you're looking at the whole counsel of God, it's going to bring a whole lot more wisdom and, and insight to us. And so we see here the beginning of what becomes something very clear and established. In Philippians 1.1, so this is after here in Acts 6, we see the following. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers, so elders, pastors, and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, words matter and order of words matter. And so if, if in this passage it said to the deacons and to the elders, we would just have some questions, right? Because deacon, I said, could mean just general servants. So it could mean, well, just to the flock of God, to, to the servants of Christ and to the elders. Okay, well, is that an office? Is that not an office? But that's not what... Philippians 1.1 1, 1 does, right? It says, to all the saints, to the whole church, and then he kind of subset, and these are also people in the church, but it's to offices, elders, and deacons. So we see here in where he puts it in the verse that this isn't the general use, this is the specific office. So back to Acts 6. Look, look at what it says here that the apostles, the, the local pastors here in this context does. Therefore, uh, so verse 2, and the twelve summon the full number of the disciples. So they, they bring the whole church together. And they say to them, okay church, we, we have this issue. The widows are not being cared for. Those in the church are not being served as well as they could be. Because we're trying to do more than we should. And they put forward a solution that a group of godly men should be raised up who would be responsible to serve both the pastors and the congregation as a whole. And in looking at verse 3 and 4 and thinking about the role of deacon, it is massively important to understand the issue is not one of value, but of function and calling. The issue here with the deacons is not of value, but of function and calling. And really, I could have just made that statement about any two roles in the church. It's not of value. You can't do that. You can't say a children's ministry teacher is of more value than a set-up-and-tear-down guy. You can't say that a worship leader is better or worse than an elder. It's not one of value. It's one of function and calling. The elders here do not regard the care of widows as inferior. They're not looking at pastoral work as more important or greater than, than caring for the widows. They, they don't believe elder is more superior to a deacon or to the congregation. It's an issue rather of being faithful to what God has called them to do what he's not called them to do, and what he's called others to do. While God does raise up pastors to lead, to guide, to govern the church under Christ's ultimate authority, 
Elders are not superior to the church. Every disciple of Christ is equal because their standing is not based on role. Our standing is based on what? Christ. Our identity in Christ, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. Listen to how this is stated. It's it's 11.2, if you wanted to look it up, 11.2 in our book of church order. I love this paragraph. It says, and I think we're going to project it, church members do not have an inferior status to elders, but are equal in standing before Christ and fellow members of his body. All members of the church, elders and congregants, are sheep under the authority of the chief shepherd and possess the same privileges, adoption by God, redemption by Christ, and sealing by the same Holy Spirit. Each member plays an important role in the mission of the church. Amen. All Christians are indwelt by the Spirit of God. All are children of God and all belong to the royal priesthood. Believers are called to a shared life together involving fellowship, discipline, and care. And then listen to this last Sentence, while the church as a whole does not have responsibility for the governance of the church, each member contributes greatly to the health or the demise of the church. Amen. Although we might be different in role, we are equal in Christ. The leaders in Acts 6 are not seeking to install deacons so that that these men that they install do what the pastors don't want to do, but rather that they don't do what they've not been called to do, right? The, the, The elders were doing the work. And seem to enjoy that work. There's nothing in this passage that makes us think they weren't enjoying serving the widows. It was an issue of them realizing it's not what God has called us to do in that, in that primary service needs way. And when we realize, and this is if you're called to be a deacon or you're never a deacon, this applies to all of us. When we as a church realize that our identity is in Christ, we, we won't look at different roles in the church as greater or lesser. We will seek to simply ask God, How have you equipped me? In what ways in this season are you calling me to serve? And what does it look like to be faithful in that task? Could I ask every member of Christ's community to ask those questions? And to bring others in on that. To to ask your friends, to ask people in your care group, to ask people in your life, how do you see me gifted? And for you to ask, God, how have you equipped me to serve the church? In what ways in this season, because seasons change, and, and sometimes you could be gifted in an area, but not serve in that area. But, but for this season, how are you calling me to serve? And what does it look like to be faithful in that task? For some, God has called them to the role in office of deacon. They have specifically been gifted by God to work under the direction and leadership of the elders to serve the church by helping to meet various needs of the body for the health of the body and the glory of God. As the church grows, the needs grow, right? As the church grows, the needs grow, and deacons are called to intentionally walk closely with both the pastors and the congregation to understand what those needs are in the church and to work through the administrative processes of making sure those needs are met. There's a man named Alexander Strock. He has thought about issues of eldership and deacons. He is a godly man. He's a very smart man. He has just just been a real blessing to just Bible-believing churches uh, with his materials on this topic. And there are others, but but he is one I've really appreciated. Just you know, you, you know when you're reading some, a book, or it's a Christian book, and they just keep pointing you back to God's word. It's not long sections of like, this is what I think, but just this is what God says. Those are the type of people I want to read. 
And Alexander Strzok's one of those guys, and he says the following about deacons. He says, deacons have the honor of modeling for the local church and a lost world God's compassion, kindness, mercy, and love. When the local church compassionately cares for people's needs, the world sees a visible display of Christ's love, which will draw some people to the Savior. So every local church needs faithful, dedicated deacons who have Christ's compassionate heart for the needy. So again, we're, we're all called to this, right? We're all called to love the church and love our neighbor. But God gives uh, some a unique gift mix to be able to be the hands of God and really to serve the church, to even mobilize other people to then serve. So so let me try to just make sure I'm I'm giving you the 30,000 foot flyover. Pastors spiritually shepherd, guide, lead, and protect the flock primarily by the preaching of the word and prayer, right? There's, there's spiritual shepherding going on. Deacons, under the leadership of the, of the pastors, seek to meet the physical needs of the flock. So they should work together, not, not, not so much hand in hand, but, but together in mobilizing the mission. And, and I want to say this graciously, um, I want to say this graciously, but I think it needs to be said if we're going to really seek to submit ourselves to God's word here. Deacons of a church should not pragmatically be, be viewed as a watchdog group or a checks and balances committee to protect the congregation from the elders of a church. If a church needs to be protected from an elder, he most likely should not be an elder. If in your church, and I'm not saying Christ community, just in your church, if you need a group to protect you from pastors, from shepherds, there's something broken in that church. And I say that lovingly. I say that thinking about what CB preached the last couple Sundays and what CB's been preaching now for as long as I've been here on the very high call God gives shepherds. We are sinful men. We need God's grace. We are just, you know, we're, we're just Christians, right? Before we're any of these other things. But you should be able to be cared for by a pastor, led by a pastor, shepherded by a pastor, and to be able to, it's an imperfect example, but be able to feel like you're getting the love of Christ. That this man is an under-shepherd of the chief shepherd. And if we need a group to, to, to protect us from from pastors, our problem isn't structure. Our problem is we got the wrong guy or wrong guys in the role of pastor. Deacons don't exist to protect the church from elders, but rather to be a blessing to the elders and to be a blessing to the congregation so that both remain healthy and faithful to what God has called them to do. We'll look at the biblical qualifications of deacons in much greater detail next week as we look at 1 Timothy 3. But we see here in verse 3 that they are to be men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And as we look at the greater context of the daily distribution of food to the widows, obviously they are able to administrate and lead ministries of service. Deacons are to have this wonderful combination of godliness and gifting. They, they are to be, uh, to be able to have a, have a heart for the pastors, to have a heart for the congregation, and, and also gifting to be able to really serve. They're not just men good with the toolbox, but not godly. 
And they're not to be just godly, but not able to really administrate and move physical service need projects forward. They really have to be gifted by God in this very special way. To be godly and to be able to really serve people well. And I'm grateful for I've just seen that informally in Christ's community over the years. More that could be said about that, more that will be said about that. But let me turn our attention to um, how the pastors and the congregation play their part in identifying and installing the deacons. So I'm going to read verses 3 to 6 here. It says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said... Please the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And church, I just want to put before you, so look at God's word here. Because we're about to get into how this is going to look for us in just a minute, but we want to see it in the scriptures. We see this um, combination work of the elders being elders and the congregation being a blessing and playing their part. So, so in verse three, what does he, the, the apostle say? They say, "Put before us seven men, right?" Congregation, help us to identify, help us to evaluate, help us to understand who is God calling to do this, this office? Who is to be a deacon? They don't come up with a plan and then that, that day say, and here's the seven men we're talking about. What do you think? They actually say, church, congregation, put forward men. And yet we also see that the apostles affirm them. Then in verse 5, again, the congregation puts forward these men. And the apostles officially lay their hands on them in an installation type of way. Alexander Strzok talks about how, how we can do this, how elders can lead and the congregation be the congregation simultaneously. He says the word direct is the Greek word prohistimi which signifies leading, managing, directing, and superintending. So in vital matters as important as examining and appointing deacons, the elders should direct the entire examination process. If not, disorder and mismanagement will ensue and people will be hurt. Then he continues, because the shepherds are to take the lead in examination procedures, does, does not suggest that the congregation is left out of the evaluation process. Absolutely not. New Testament elders should never act like dictators, bureaucrats, or a ruling oligarchy. Rather, they actively lead, so they do lead, they actively lead as loving shepherds among God's people. They must listen to, consult with, and seek the wisdom of their fellow believers. A good shepherding body also wants an educated, involved congregation. Amen. Not a passive one. The appointed deacons will serve the congregation so the people must have a voice in evaluating them. It's so good. So often when people talk about certain issues, because they want to affirm one thing, they, I think they accidentally sometimes throw the rest out. Instead of, okay, what does God's word say about this? And hold it together. And if God says two things, that we can hold them in tension and see that they, they connect. Are elders called to lead? Yes. 
Our congregation is made up of godly men and women who have wisdom and insight and can pray and can give counsel and be a blessing. Yes. We pray that you feel that from us. Both our very real leadership that is given to us by God and at the same time a genuine heart to benefit from all the wisdom and blessing that comes from the people of God. All right, so how, as we look at God's word, how do we want to create a way forward as we seek to identify, equip, and install deacons here at Christ Community. I'm going to give, a again, just a flyover. Thankful that we have two weeks to kind of talk through some of this, and really beyond just two weeks. This is going to be a process, right? It's not like three weeks from now we're going to put deacons in in front of you and say, okay, what do you think? This is going to be uh, done wisely and intentionally. So wisely means not rashly, right? Wisely means we walk through it together. But intentionally, we are moving forward. Sometimes under the banner of wisely, it can be maybe sometimes too slow, maybe unbiblically slow. So we want to be wise and intentional at the same time. That's something you can be praying for, just for us as a church. We wouldn't be rash. We would do it wisely. And at the same time, we would do it intentionally and take real steps forward. So, So here's Kind of the process in a nutshell. Point, or kind of our our first step will be a congregational nomination process. So next Sunday, there's going to be another insert in your bulletin. It's the season of inserts. And the insert is going to be uh, a a form that has uh, the biblical qualifications on it. And then a place for you to nominate those that you think adhere to those biblical qualifications. And then a very small uh, place to to write write in why. So we, we want to, because God's word here shows it to us, that we want to hear. What do you think? As you uh, listen to these messages, as you seek God's word, who stands out to you? Who see, seems to be someone qualified for this role? And so um, it won't be only next Sunday, but next Sunday will kind of be the primary push there for you to take that home or to write someone in here um, and to get that to us. And to be able to say, here are people that we would want to put forward And then as pastors, we're going to take those and we're going to pray. That's where we're going to start is by praying and asking God, okay, God, help us as elders lead well. Help us to listen to you. How are you guiding us? How are you directing us? Then we're going to put um, a group of people that we believe God is calling to in this season and we're going to ask for congregational input. We're going to ask you, What do you think of these men that we are considering? What do you know about them? What do you know about their life? Would you be encouraged? Would you be discouraged? I might have said this publicly last week, but it's not. They're a Cowboys fan. They're out. Which if they're a Ravens fan, I do. That could be a hill to die on for for Ben Ross, right? No, it's not they're a Ravens fan or a Cowboys fan. It's it's, You saw them punch their grandma when they were over at the house, right? it's, It's biblically unqualifying things. So think through as you have those men put before you. What, what do we see? Do we see God's grace? Do we, yes, these are men. And, and again, I'm not going to get into next week's message more than just people say we should be able to see it. They should be tested even already as they are among us. And then we're going to equip those, those qualified candidates. We want to walk with you. If you wonder, is God calling me to this? We want to disciple you. We want to encourage you. We want to equip you. We want to walk with you to be the biggest blessing we can be as a church and as pastors. And then, and we're going to kind of trust the Lord as we walk through this, that there's going to be a, a, an installation Sunday 
where we will have them stand before you. And again, those people won't surprise you because they'll have been kind of with you the whole time as we walk through this. And that we will lay our hands on them as elders. We're going to pray for them. Because if you, as you think about this week already and what we're going to get to next week, these these men will need our prayers. They, they need God. And some of that is for, for some of these guys to step into it with faith. I think it could, it could look like humility to be like, oh, I could never do that. Look at those qualifications. I, I need to grow in so many ways. You know, for some of you guys, it's going to be able to, for you to listen to the congregation and say, yeah, you're not perfect. We get that. But here's where we see genuine fruit. Here's where we see genuine gifting. And for some of you, it's going to be the step of faith in saying, okay, I do believe God's called me into this. And the church is coming around me and saying, they see it. And I'm going to trust God. So may we even, beginning this Sunday, if you have not already, to be joining the pastors and praying that God would raise up the men and install them that he has called. That's the 30,000 foot flyover. There's more time in the days and the weeks to come and talk about it. Point number four, our last point, the result. The result. And the ushers are going to start handing out the, the elements for communion as we walk through this. We began with the gospel and we end with the gospel. Look at verse 5 and then verse 7. So we've seen the gospel, the problem, the solution, and now the result. The first result is verse 5. And what they said, what the pastors, what the apostles said, pleased the whole gathering. God gave gospel unity to the church. There was, in a very real way, a sense of God is moving us forward in these things. They, they weren't happy because the pastors told them what they wanted to hear. It wasn't, yeah, all right, we affirm that you're good leaders. It's this sense of, this is good. This seems good to us in the Holy Spirit. This seems wise. This seems biblical. This seems, seems pleasing to God. And so it's pleasing to us. And, and I love that. that. May that be our, just our prayer in this season and every season. That God would give us gospel unity. It wouldn't be, you know, my opinion versus your opinion or the way I think we should do it versus the way you think we should do it. What does God want? How does God want us to move forward in this season? How does God want us to move in the next season? And to be as a congregation constantly saying, God, what do you desire? And for there to be a beautiful unity as we do that, Together. And then the the result in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So think about what's happening here, right? We're, we're saying that there was an issue. And it was like slowing things down in a sense. I mean, we know in verse 1 that the gospel was Moving forward, the disciples were increasing, but then this problem arises. Things need to get worked on. They need to grow. They're in process. It's a construction project. And as they sought God and moved forward, God continued to help them grow. And the gospel's advancing, and more disciples being added, and a great many of the priests becoming obedient to the faith. So we're not saved by structure. We're not saved by process. Our hope isn't in, okay, our, our hope is in getting deacons in the place and we get deacons in the place, well, then the gospel's going to go. No, our hope's in the gospel, but we do want to rightly get the right people in the right role so that the church is blessed. I don't know all the reasons for verse 7. Obviously, at its, at its base, it's the gospel. The gospel just 
doing what the gospel does. But is it possible that as those widows were being cared for, they were talking about the Christ-likeness they saw in those deacons? Is it possible as they were talking about just the community of God's people and the way they loved and the way they sacrificed and the way they cared for one another and the lost world seeing that, people watching that church and saying there's something different about those people, that it gave them an opportunity to talk about the good news of Jesus. And as they proclaimed the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, God used it to save even more. So our our hope isn't in processes, our hope isn't in structure, but God certainly uses us as we seek to glorify him and to proclaim the gospel. And as we enjoy communion, may we remember that all of this, the fact that there are deacons, the fact that there are elders, the fact that there are just congregations, the fact that there are sometimes problems within the church that, that need to be addressed and need to for us to grow in it, that all of it finds its genesis in God sending Jesus, right? It, it's God before the foundation of the earth, knowing we were going to sin and send, and that he would send Christ to rescue us. And so as we partake in communion, let us remember Christ. Let us find our hope in Christ. Haven't you been good? We hadn't sung that song in a while. And I just was able to reflect on how good God has been. With thanksgiving and praise, I can say God has been so good. He's been so gracious. He's been so loving. It says in chapter 26 of Matthew, verse 26, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples. And said, take, eat, this is my body. Church, body of Christ, may we remember the broken body of our Lord and Savior. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. May we Remember the forgiveness of our many sins because of the blood of Christ. Worship team, if you would come up. And we are going to close by singing Come Thou Fount. And as we think about just us as a church, as we think about us as Christians, may we sing and just remember our Lord and Savior, that we would fix our gaze on him once again and remember what a great hope we have because he is the head of this body. Let's pray. And the disciples increased in number. 
that is true of Acts 6. That is true in 2017. We are a testimony of your great grace, Lord. We are a testimony of your great love, O Lord. We are a testimony of your powerful gospel. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you that the disciples continue to increase in number within your church, within your body, within your family, Lord. And we pray, Lord, as we all want to respond as Christians, Lord, in thankful worship, in a life of worship, Lord, would you help us as a church to be a great light to a fallen, broken world, Lord? We see at its foundation that what we're talking about today is about your glory, the good of the church, and the advancement of your gospel, Lord. We see that you've given us these gifts that we might grow stronger as a people in you and that we might be a light, Lord. Oh, Lord, our culture is so broken. Our culture right now is so divided, Lord. And yet that gives us as a church such an opportunity to say we know someone different. We know a Lord and Savior that brings people to him and reconciles him and gives them eternal life. He brings them not just into salvation or adoption. He brings them into the family of God. And we pray, Lord, that as individuals and as a church, we might be a light of Christ to the world. That, Lord, as we care for each other, as we seek to install deacons, as these men seek to serve the needs of the church, that that lost sinners would see that and weary saints would see that and that they would both come and be cared for by all of us. Oh, Lord, do a great work among us. It's your power. It's your glory. It's your doing. And we say thank you for letting us be a part of that work. And all of us, Lord, individually, may we ask in the days and weeks and months and years ahead to say, Lord, how do you want to use me? It's not a question of if he wants to use you, church. He wants to use you. You are his instrument. You are his ambassador. He has gifted you. Oh, Lord, help us to understand what that looks like for our good, for the world, and for the glory of God. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, we hope you have a wonderful week.